Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Hello, everybody. It's Ask Mapped, episode 119. Uh, I am here joined by the marvelous members. Uh, this is my name here, Dr. Ryan Gray, creator of the Pre-Med Years podcast, author of the Pre-Med Playbook series, and co-founder of Mapped.com. Hello and welcome. Uh, I am joined by Verinia Granum. Hello, hello. The former assistant dean in the pre-health and STEM advising at Hofstra University. Hello, hello. Welcome. Uh, it is going to be the uh, the dynamic trio here today. We're going to try something new here on Ask Map to where it's just going to be three of us. And uh, we'll, we'll see how that works. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to be hanging out with you. Uh, as always, or lately, since you are, are newer to the team, Courtney Lewis, former director of admissions at an osteopathic medical school. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. I can see why you were maybe trying to get one of us to moderate now. I'm sorry. <laughs> why? 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 I like moderating. Um, it's fun. It's fun. All right. So uh, if you are new here, we are here to answer your pre-med, pre-PA life questions, if you have relationship issues, uh, we're expanding and uh, we, we can do it all these days. So uh, if you have car issues, we are uh, now car talk as well. <laughs> um, uh, we, we all were at Top Golf this past weekend. Uh, we are golf experts. If you yes. need work on your golf swing, we can True. help you with that too. So whatever you need, <laughs> uh, let's talk. Let's talk. Um, so ask your questions, mapped.tv. And we'll answer them here. Uh, let's rock and roll. Do we have any questions yet? I don't see any. So mm-hmm. we'll just, we'll twiddle our thumbs. Um, yeah, so what's going on, guys? Not much. I have my lovely mapped Yeti. Yes, yes. With my, my bubble water in there. This is a lovely Yeti cup, actually. It's a, it's a lovely Yeti cup. It is. I'm getting smarter just from drinking from it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how we roll. Um, awesome. All right, let's 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 talk shop. So, sure. Uh, Pre med, pre med stuff. Right now, uh, it is the end of September. Mm-hmm. Um, students should be aware if they're applying in 2023 that MCAT registration opens in just a couple weeks. And so they need to start making sure that they're ready to register for the MCAT. That means first and foremost, unfortunately, having enough money to pay for the MCAT. Uh, make sure you got enough credit on your credit card, a balance on your credit card, money in the bank if you're using the debit card, all that fun stuff. Um, because ideally, you're taking the MCAT kind of January, March, uh, April of 2023 if you're applying next year assuming you're ready to take it then so that you can uh, apply knowing your score, making sure that you're not wasting money on an application with a bad MCAT score, all of that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Courtney, do you ever talk about kind of MCAT prep mindset to students and kind of how to, how to get in the right headspace there? Yeah, it's based on things that I've heard from 
current medical students and them having to take it sometimes more than once. And it was to take as many timed simulated practice tests as possible before you sit for the actual exam. They said that this was above and beyond um, helpful for them in getting familiar with the verbiage and the pace and kind of curbing their mental fatigue on the day of the test and, and things like that. So if you can try to be really thoughtful about how you study for the MCAT and the material. Don't just hyper-focus on any one area um, and let the other one slide and do as many timed full-length practice tests as you can. Yeah, that is the key. Full-length, full-length, full-length. Question, question, question. The MCAT is not a content-based test. It is a critical thinking and analysis test. You have to have that content, but it's not just straight memorization like your college tests likely were. So yeah. It's also a stamina test. Yeah. Right? How, how long can yeah. you tush be sitting in that seat for <laughs> six, seven, eight hours? Oh, yeah. yeah. And not start to second-guess yourself and your responses. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. MCAT podcast where it's at. All right. Sergio asks, how many volunteer hours is recommended to put down in medical school applications? Probably as many as you do. (laughs) Don't just like pick a number. (laughs) More than zero. (laughs) Verinia, what are your thoughts here? Yeah. As many as you want, right? More than zero. Um, Hopefully the amount of hours that you've dedicated to whatever uh, organization you want to volunteer with, um, there's no set number, Sergio. Do what you're passionate about as as often as you are able to. Um, there's no limit to this, right? Because if you're passionate about something, you're going to dedicate as much time as possible to it. And that's what medical schools want to see, right? What are you passionate about? Uh, it's not about the number of hours. It's your commitment to that um, organization or, or whatever it is consistently. Now, I just did 100 hours in a month with one group and that's it. I'm done. Now it's well done. Yeah. over time. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work as well that way. Let's see if mm-hmm. I can center myself here. Ooh, look at that. With three people, we can do this view. It's a, I know. a fun view. I like this yeah. view. All right, who's next? Sophia, how should I go about asking for a letter of recommendation from a professor I haven't talked to in years? Well, it's interesting because my LORs is coming to MAPT. Uh, and we'll have some recommendations on, on how to do that sort of thing. Uh, Courtney, letters of recommendations, obviously huge for the medical school application process. And this happens all the time, right? You have an amazing professor and you just kind of lose touch sometimes, or maybe you're desperate at the final, the final uh, stop before applying or in the middle of applications and you have a letter writer back out and you have to go back through your Rolodex. If kids these days know what a Rolodex is um, and, uh, and go, Oh, like this is my only other professor that I somewhat had a relationship with, but I haven't talked to them in years. What's, what's going on? What should I do here? Well, you're going to want to touch base with them. So it's going to likely take more than just a precursor email to check in and ask for a letter. You're going to want to go um, and and spend more communication time, try to build a rapport, see if they're even comfortable writing you a letter, see what information, if so, that they would need to write you a strong letter of recommendation. If you need to do things over time or they want to see a resume or anything like that. Um, So you'll probably have to touch base with them multiple times to make sure that they have the information that they need. You're getting a strong letter. Yeah. That's that's the goal. All right. Um, hopefully, 
right? We uh, do a bad job in this country of preventive care, preventive medicine, but the preventive medicine for this is if you think you have a professor, freshman year, sophomore year, whatever, that you may be coming back to later on, stay in touch. Yep. That'll, that'll help. Yep. Amy asks, working on my third now, biochem major, working on my third now, and did all my gen eds about eight years. <laughs> Will med schools be okay with that since I'm taking upper division level classes now, or do they truly expire after five years? Uh, I'm not sure what third now is. Third application, maybe? It's been I'm a while. Sure. I'm not sure. I mean, uh, re-ask this question and we'll, we'll come back to you. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I, we can answer in general, right? Some schools have prereqs that mm-hmm. expire. Some schools don't. So yep. it just depends mm-hmm. on the medical school. Mm-hmm. Courtney, can you think of um, what what the potential logic is, right? I, I want you to speak for every other medical school <laughs> out there right now. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> maybe maybe if you've heard conversations in the hallways, like why, why have prereqs expire? What's the goal there? Sure. It's just a data point that they look at. We're about to throw you into 32 or more science credit hours as you go into your medical education. And if it has been a while since you've taken heavy course loads of science um, and that foundational knowledge and material may be a bit rusty, especially if your MCAT is kind of indicative that maybe you have not retained as much of that material as you may need to be successful in the coursework, then that's kind of why we're doing and looking at that data point. Yeah. The data point. Just one data point. Just one school. It's all good. All right. Let's keep rocking. Let's keep rolling. Golf LB. <laughs> oh, we got a golfer. He wants, he wants some golf tips. Uh, is research uh, a requirement for MD programs? MSAR says, right, here's where reading data um, gets tricky. 90 to 98% of MD classes, even quote lower tier, have research. I have no interest in research, yet feel obligated to do it. What should I do? Here's the problem with data, right? Everyone reads that data and goes, oh, I must, I probably should do it. And so it just continues to push that narrative that you have to do research. Verenia, what say you? I say if you have no interest in it, then don't do it. (laughs) <laughs> That's basically the simplest answer, right? Because they're, you know, that your passion for something is what's going to show up on an application, right? And if it's not for research, you're going to be spending a lot of time and energy on something that you could be devoting towards, you know, you could be using that energy towards something you're more um, passionate about. So, so no, it's it's one of the things that we say is a little bit overrated, right? Um, research experience is good if you're interested in it, if you have an interest in it. Sure, go for it. Uh, it's not going to hurt you necessarily if you don't have that. Yeah. Yep. Do it if you want. Mm-hmm. Courtney, uh, you obviously have evaluated a, a, an application or two. Um, <laughs> rubrics are built around. I don't know if, if you have used rubrics at your school. Yeah. Um, I made it. You made it, yeah. <laughs> and, and how much weight did you put into research in your rubric? Zero points. Zero. No. 
it's impossible, Courtney. Zero. No. These- so, so where we would actually add point values to it would be in, um, if it wasn't patient focused, it would be in your non med experience. So we would still give you time if it wasn't for a specific class where you were getting credit hours for it was taken where you were having to dedicate hours and time away from studying, away from your coursework to complete it. We would still give you credit in your non-med experience. But as a solo, not heavily weighted, I think as we said, most schools are not going to heavily weight research. Pre-meds keep doing it. It's good. Um, Certainly not a requirement for almost all schools. If there is a heavy focus on research at that school, generally on their admissions page, they will notate it. So uh, Michigan State uh, CHM, or CHU, or I can't remember the abbreviation. They are human medicine. Yes. Human medicine. (laughs) Um, They actually do notate that they like to see research and they give you information on conducting research while you're in school. So that may be one where you want to consider it, but for the most part, unless it's kind of blatantly stated, It's just another thing to kind of add. And if it's taking away from other areas that are more high yield, I would say be cautious. Yeah. And this narrative, this is the the same issue that I have with students applying to schools based on stats is all you're doing is perpetuating numbers because you only think that those numbers matter. And so if 90 to 98% of people are reporting that they do research and then students look at that data without critically thinking about it and go, oh, that means you have to do research to get into medical school, then people will continue to do research and those numbers will continue to reflect that without actually doing some critical thinking, asking questions, going directly to the source at each of the medical schools you're interested in. And the same thing happens with GPA and MCAT data of I'm only going to apply to the schools where my MCAT and GPA fit into these neat little buckets that don't tell a full story. And all you're doing is giving the medical schools the same data to look at and not giving them the opportunity to say yes to you if you fall far from those stats. So it's frustrating. Amy is back again, working on my third degree now. Okay, mm-hmm. third degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, did all my gen eds eight years ago. Will med schools be okay with that since I'm currently still taking upper division level courses? Will my gen eds expire? Right, and so same, same answer as before. Uh, just the basic uh, expiration is it's going to depend on the medical school. So reach mm-hmm. out to the schools that you're potentially interested in. Yep. Peter, I got into Penn's specialized studies post-bac in order to finish the program. You take eight courses, three semester credits each. Is, quote, 24 credits normal for a post-bac? I have a 3.3 upward trend. Bernie, what do you think? 24 credits for 50 grand? (laughs) Oh, yeah. He didn't didn't give us a tuition. Yeah. It sounds a little on the lower end, honestly. I've usually seen post-bac programs be closer to 32 credits, but I don't know. I don't know. um, You know, this might be unique to their program. Mm -hmm. Um, What you need to consider, is that enough for you to kind of establish that upward trend, continue that upward trend 
with your other undergraduate courses. Um, so that's what I would definitely take a look at. Take a look at your big picture science GPA. Is this 24 credits enough to continue that upward trend? Yeah. yeah and, and the upward trend is not just post-bac, right? It can Correct. be post-bac right. plus senior year, half a junior year plus senior year plus yeah. post-bac. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. So take a look and see, yep. well, you know, your other undergrad courses um, may have make be uh, sort of make up for that. It just being 24 credits, right? So you, maybe you took 16 credits or more or whatever undergrad. Um, that's all establishing that trend. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the trend, the trend. Courtney, for you, um, mm -hmm. I know you had pretty firm cutoffs uh, GPA wise. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and if they didn't meet that cutoff, trends be damned. Um, mm -hmm. But if they did meet the cutoff, how, how would you evaluate trends? Sure. Uh, if you met the minimum cutoff, that's when we, and return the secondary, that's when we could get into the nitty gritty. So I would look at what courses they were taking over, you know, kind of the amount of years in which they were taking them. Were they working at the same time that they were going to school? Were there large gaps? Were they flipping institutions? So all of that information is available to us and we're taking into account all of that as we're trying to kind of paint a picture of your undergraduate years, um, what you were able to balance and do, how you handled it, and then inform us on where you are as a student at present. Um, so we're looking, you definitely want your most recent coursework to be your strongest. Um, few things will look worse, I would say, than finishing an undergrad fairly strong and then tanking in a post-packer master's. It's just not what you want to do. So really devote your time to learning the material, performing well in the class, and getting the most out of it. You're paying the money for it. So get the most out of it. A lot of this information is going to be foundational and built upon in med school anyways. So you really do need it. So make sure that you're taking it seriously. You do not want to be stagnant or drop here. Okay. Um, but at a certain point, your GPA needle is just not going to move because you have so many credit hours um, that it, it gets very, very hard to make any type of, of progress. But we can still see chunks, you know, where if you have five semesters of A, even if you're at a 3.3 and the rest were C's and B's, we know what we're looking for. So we can see the comprehensive breakdown. Yeah. Good stuff. Jen asks, June 19th submission, 397 GPA, 516 MCAT. Awesome, awesome. 500 service hours, I'm assuming non-clinical volunteer. 500 clinical hours, applied to 24 MD schools, well-balanced private school list, California residents. When should I worry about interviews? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Berenia. Yeah. 397, 516, like <laughs> – Automatic acceptances, right? You would think if it were only that simple. <laughs> if only it were that. Oh, I know, I know what happened, Courtney. No research. That's it. <laughs> no research. <laughs> Brittany, what is only we're joking, Jan. We're joking. We're, we're joking. just joking with you. Um, yeah. So I mean, it sounds on paper like you 
have a great application. Obviously, we don't know what your personal statement was about. We don't know how you described your activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot we really don't know. What we can only say is when to worry about interviews. We usually say if by November or around Thanksgiving, you have not heard anything. Uh, it's still very early, believe it or not. Um, yeah. But it's a good time to start thinking about, okay, if I need to reapply, what do I need to look at in my application? What, what you know, identifying what those areas might be. Um, so I would say, uh, yeah, around Thanksgiving, towards the end of November, if you have not heard yet, that's a good time to start thinking about strategies yeah. for reapplying. Yeah, I've I've kind of been around long enough now to start to see trends where someone like this should have gotten an interview by mm-hmm. now. Um, it's it's usually as we're recording this, it's the end of September. The it seems like right, just just super anecdotally, super broad strokes that schools will get the applications in and kind of start at the top. And the top meaning, let me rank and sort and 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 let me go get those super high score MCATs, super high GPA students that I'm going to be quote unquote competing against other schools to get. We want those top tier students at our our school. So let me go look at their application first, make sure they fit with our mission, all that fun stuff, and then go, great, we want to offer this person an interview. And I've seen over time that uh, the students with maybe a good GPA, but a lower MCAT score, they're getting the interviews a little bit later, maybe right around now, kind of going into October, because the schools are kind of working down their list, uh, offering interviews to who they want, but starting near the tippy top. I don't know if that's true. Super anecdotal, super just I'm making up stuff on the fly here, but it seems like that's what schools do. Someone like this, Courtney, 397 GPA, 516 MCAT. They have hours. Again, we don't know kind of consistency of those hours. Mm -hmm. Did they get them all freshman year and then they stopped and they were just lollygagging around playing video games. You were the gamer. Um, Is it, it, could it be as simple as her letters of recommendations were terrible? A hundred percent. Yeah. So this could be something where if we haven't seen the secondaries or the personal statement, as Verenia said, uh, and we we don't know your responses to those things, it could be um, having to do with that. It could be just as Ryan said, where they got a surge at the very beginning of the uh, cycle of really strong applicants that met their mission that they want to offer the first interviews to. And those people just happen to book up all of those dates and want to interview at that school as well. And so they are waiting until more slots open and they can extend more interview invites as they work through the applicants. And so that's why you need to give it a bit of time. You don't want to sit on it too long. You can call the admissions office and see if you can get an update on your status and see if there's anything that you can do. Usually they'll give you some type of indication if you're on a hold or if you're still being considered or not. If you haven't gotten a rejection, that's always a good thing. Make sure you're checking your spam and junk folder, please, for your email. Sometimes interview invites go into that junk and spam folder and you miss them. So please make sure you are checking those as well. But yeah. yeah, there there could be a lot of things at play here. 
Yeah. And, and she did respond back 800 hours in research. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Perfect. She's got it all. So, so Jan, what I would recommend, uh, first and foremost, go to application renovation and go watch some of those videos. I've, I've had a 4.0, 528 student on there. One interview wasn't accepted. There are things in an application, again, this is my personal opinions. Obviously, I'm the one reading these and, and giving opinions. Um, things in an application that are just huge turnoffs. And even if you have the best stats, if you haven't shown to the medical schools that you're in this for the right reason and, mm-hmm. and you understand why you're doing this, mm-hmm. it just, it seems like they just won't take the risk. And I don't know if that's the right way to say that, Courtney, if that's a, yeah. a good way to say it is they, they are taking a risk with everyone that they are accepting to say, we believe that you are a student, number one, that fits our mission. And, and number two, are smart enough, quote unquote, smart enough. You've proven academically that, that you're going to pass our curriculum, that you're going to pass the boards first time around. And, and number three, and I think this is a big thing that students just don't think about. You've proven that this is what you want to do because it, it's, it's cancer to a culture at a school where you get students coming in going, I'm super bright, I'm the smartest, I'm the best. And then they get around patients and other students and the, the curriculum and the, the subjects. And they're like, this is miserable. And then they, they're just a cancer on the whole culture. And, and schools stay away from that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, not to say that it, it is your letters of recommendation. It could not be. Yep. It could be, you know, how many times did you take the MCAT? Is one subsection really low? Is this just a case of needing to sit and wait and yeah. see how it shakes out with how they do their list if you're kind of applying within your state? California is a really competitive, high pre-med state. So yeah. I would say, you know, if you're applying predominantly to California schools, um, it may take some time anyways, just because they are, are very competitive and they can kind of get the pick of the litter there. Yeah. And I think uh, potentially setting up a, a session with one of our advisors to look through your application and, and look at your personal statement, look at your activities mm-hmm. and, and give some advice. Uh, give, it, give it some time in a month or two maybe reach out and, and check in with us and, and see how we can kind of point to things and go, this is, this is it, right? I, f- I found it. Yep. Um, if, if there is that one thing, uh, it, it's, it's hard. Sometimes it's just like, I'll, I'll look at an application. It's very rare where I'll look at an application going like, I have no idea why you didn't get in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's usually something to look at. I can I can find it. <laughs> I can find it. <laughs> Needle in a haystack. We're good at that. <laughs> I can find it. <laughs> Kyle asks, is it ill-advised to take the MCAT before biochem if you've taken the, an MCAT prep course? Uh, Courtney, we were just talking about this last <laughs> night, right, with an MCAT yeah. uh, expert. Um, the general advice is biochem is an important subject. It's, and- it's material that's on the MCAT. Yeah. Yeah. So you theoretically could self-study. And uh, I love when we switch to this view, everyone's like, oh, <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's on the MCAT. You theoretically could self-study through the course and it's a, it's a really big topic. So, yeah. so do you want to risk it? <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and the answer is going to be different for everyone. Yeah. 
Money Mo <laughs> is volunteering in the ER considered clinical experience. Farinia! Our is favorite it question. Clinical? Is it clinical? And the answer is always it depends. <laughs> Money Mo, are you at the front directing patients in traffic? Are you in the gift shop? Are you um you know, anything that has really very little to do with actual patients or are you bringing them blankets, bringing them drinks and snacks and things to keep them um, comfortable while they're waiting for their appointments or whatever it is in the ER while they're waiting to be seen. So it really all depends on what you're doing with them. Clinical experience, true patient care experience comes down to being directly involved in the health and care of another human being, right? Caring for them, bringing them water, bringing them drinks, bringing them snacks, whatever it is to make, make, make them comfortable. Are you directly involved with patients in that way in the ER? That's what you need to ask yourself. Yep. Yeah. Volunteering is a generic term that doesn't mm-hmm. tell us anything. There you go. There you go. Jay, would admissions still consider applicants who submit their secondaries more than a month after the invitation? So this this goes to the whole two-week turnaround for secondaries. Uh, Courtney, again, I I come to you for a lot of admission Mm -hmm. stuff as a former director of admissions. Did did you track how long it would take students to turn secondaries around? Not initially. I would say... By the end of this cycle, as I'm looking to kind of wrap, I would say that that information was considered. Um, I do know that there are some schools that have very short interview cycles during the admission cycle. And so if you don't turn around that secondary fairly quickly and submit early on, you're going to miss an opportunity. All of those interview slots will be filled. So it's going to be dependent on the school. We all have different processes, ways of evaluating the timelines, the way we run things. But if it takes you a while to turn it around, I would say check with the school, see if they are somebody who only does interviews, let's say until October, November, and you only, you know, you've been sitting on your secondary for quite a while. You can certainly still turn it in and pay the money. Just know that that's the risk that you run. Um, Just know that it's a donation and you should ask for their 501c3 status so you can write it off. (laughs) And I would, here's another thing, just a sidebar tip. See if, schools pre-screen for their secondaries before they send them out. Um, If they're pre-screening and they send you a secondary, that means that they have some kind of indicator that you meet a minimum requirement for them um, and they want to review you. Um, (laughs) And so others do not pre-screen and they just send in mass. And that is kind of like a donation to the school. Um, Sometimes they end up funding scholarships for med students. So I can say at least it goes to something good sometimes, but uh, I thought it, I, I thought it went to the director of admissions. Uh, Beamer oh, I wish. Fund. Yeah. Uh, no way. No way. I do it. Cause I 
Love the students. <laughs> uh, Caroline asks, as a college sophomore trying to go straight through undergrad to med school, is studying abroad possible? I'm leaning towards spring or summer junior year and just rewrite the heck out of my application. Oof. Verenia. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. What do you think? Oof. Spring, yeah. summer of your junior year is going to be a very busy year for you application wise. I would not I would not recommend it. Um having said that though, I did have some students this cycle that actually were able to get all their stuff done, pre wrote their um secondaries, and then they went for a month abroad during the summer. A short experience, I think it's more doable than saying, oh, I'm taking the entire spring semester to go abroad. Um, So it's doable, I think. Just um, know that your spring and summer of your junior year, you're going to be really, really busy. You have to decide, can I realistically devote the amount of time I need to to my application while overseas or, you know, focusing on a study abroad program? Yeah. And the the big thing is prereqs abroad. You have to be very, very careful about. Yes. Yes. Good point. Yep. Um, they didn't say if that w- that's what they were planning on doing, um, yeah. but but that's a whole other conversation. Yep. 100%. Be, take your, don't take your prereqs yeah, over there. I was going to say, take your prereqs here, then go and... Yes. Take a language or a history or something fun. Because <laughs> we, we all know that those other countries have know nothing about s- science and you have to learn it here. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. It's it's that that verbiage of accredited regionally accredited yep. institution. Yep. So it'll catch you every time. It's something that you guys would never know. Um, mm. but we do and we have to hold you to it. So yep. do not take your prereqs there. Yep. 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 Jessica, is having a letter from a doctor you've shadowed going to help strengthen your application? My clinical experience volunteering programs don't write letters. Courtney? Well, it I would say yes. It sounds like it meets one of the requirements, which is getting a letter from a physician. So I would say yes, you definitely need that. And if you can get it from somebody you've shadowed, even better. Yep. Yeah, someone who knows you, right? If you've shadowed them for three hours and you're like, hey, you write me a strong letter, eh, probably not going to help. Um, and, and just a, a clarification, uh, one of our biggest pain points, letters of recommendations being super um, uh, variable depending on the school. So uh, some schools don't require doctor letters. Some schools do. Osteopathic schools mostly don't require DO letters. There is one school out there that still says they require one. So check with your schools and what they require to make sure you meet those requirements. And that kind of going back to uh, way back to Jan, I think it was Jan's comments, 397-516. Maybe she's missing like a prereq that the school's like, we don't offer interviews without these Mm -hmm. prereqs fulfilled. We don't offer interviews without these specific letters of recommendations filled, right? It could be as simple as she's missing some very specific things in her application Mm -hmm. to to be able to offer those interviews. Typically those come before acceptances, but you never know. Just to get her thinking some more. Yep. Rosemary, just got my first interview invite. Woohoo! I know you suggest all applicants wear suits. Does this still stand for virtual interviews? Thoughts on a virtual backdrop? So, thoughts. Uh, Verinia, suits? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Dress the way you would in person. You never know if you're going to have to 
stand up during your interview. <laughs> you want to make sure that you're not wearing your shorts or sweatpants. Yep. Um, so dress comfortably, but but as if you were going to an in-person interview. Yep. Definitely. And virtual backdrops? I mean, it, as long as it's um, neutral and sort of, you know, on board and, and not crazy or, you know, you don't have any like flowery backgrounds or anything like that. I think it's fine. Um, you don't have to stress it too much. You can just set up, set yourself up in front of a nice blank wall, yep. maybe blur your background. That's fine too. I wouldn't stress it. Um, nothing, you know, too artsy. Yeah. Just keep it nothing simple. Too artsy. I'm, I'm not a fan of like Zoom's virtual backdrop stuff. It's super distracting yeah. for mm-hmm. me. So I think, uh, if you can get in front of some sort of like neutral backdrop mm-hmm. and, and it'll be fine. Uh, don't, don't do crazy things like, um, Oh, where'd it go? I was just going to do something fun. Like, uh, the filters. This. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like this, exactly. this is what zoom sometimes does. You're like, hello. It's and it's terrifying. like, ah, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, don't do that. Yeah. If you move a certain way, you're not even in the yeah. camera anymore. Yeah. Just keep it simple. Keep it simple. The kiss method. Keep it simple, stupid. I mean, keep it stupid, simple. Um, <laughs> freshman at college, it feels like uh, is a big class. How do professors know us enough mm. to give letters of recommendation <laughs> later in junior year? Oh. Verenia, this never yeah, happened freshman. at Hofstra, right? Those super <laughs> big freshman chemistry classes well, where, where two-thirds of the students say they're pre-med. <laughs> Honestly, Hofstra was actually pretty good. They had, I think, 60 <laughs> students. What? Oh, that's crazy. most maybe seventy. So, yeah. private institution, but <laughs> I, but I think I think there were six hundred in some of my big classes. Well, I was gonna say at Stony Brook, which is a big state school here, you're talking five hundred students in an organic chemistry class. So, it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to even get noticed by the professor. So, um, yeah, you really have to kind of work to get to know that professor go to their office hours, connect with them. If they're doing research and you're interested in their area of expertise, talk to them about it. Um, some, may, some may welcome the, it, some may not, right? So then you just have to maybe talk to a different professor at that point. But I'm so happy that you're a first-year student because you have time to be able to establish these relationships and you're going to be taking plenty of science courses. You'll get to connect with your professors that way. Um, and stay in touch with them, as yeah. we mentioned earlier. Update them. Let them know that you're interested in what they're doing and that you're potentially applying to medical school down the road. And if you can maybe ask for a letter down the road, you know, just stay in touch with them um, throughout your next couple of years in school. Yeah. Uh, let's give uh, Manal here a free year of MapDAP Pro. Ooh. so. They can stay in touch with us and put all their come, stuff into MapDap and come chat with us. Yeah, come chat. <laughs> email, email info at map.com and say, I want a free year of MapDap Pro on on uh, Ask Map. We'll get yeah. to yeah. We'll Some get other to things that you may want to think about is if you do find a science professor and they teach multiple courses that you're ultimately going to have to take over time, you can consider taking multiple classes with that oh. professor. Yeah. They present the material in a way that you know you can digest and it builds that rapport. So even if it's not at the most convenient time, sometimes it's worth it to do that. Yeah. And I would say as a freshman, once you heads up these professors to let them know that 
you're potentially going to be applying to med school and to keep an eye out for you, don't show up late to class. <laughs> don't, don't just sit in the back and be really disinterested or on your phone. Don't show up late. Don't skip. Don't ask for a bunch of test, you know, leniency mm-hmm. or, or things like that. You really need to, um, to behave professionally as we would hope that you would do, but, but set yourself apart from potentially some of your peers who have not made it quite that far yet um, because they, they will eye you and it will affect your letters ultimately. Um, So just behave professionally. Another, um, another way you can also get to know your professors is if your school offers this is to work as a TA for them. Mm-hmm. down the road as they're, as you're moving up and, and if you do really well in this class for instance ask is there an opportunity for you to work as a TA in the future that's a great way to get to know your professors definitely I always liked seeing when people were TAs because it's taking material that they had to learn yeah. um, understanding it and being able to teach it to somebody else and yep. these were people from different educational backgrounds mm-hmm. different levels of understanding which is very similar to a physician and yep. patient relationship so that's always a great experience if you can pull it off yeah good luck Nazarwit. <laughs> First year went well, but got low grade in my second year when I transferred to DT State. But then I had an upward trend until my grade dropped again in my last quarter. Does it ruin? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> one, sounds- one class doesn't make or break. Um yeah, I don't know. That's too confusing. Uh, yeah. Put all of your grades in MapDap. Uh, sign up for a free trial, 30-day free trial using uh, 30 days free promo code. Um, I don't know if we can throw that banner up. Let me see if I can find it. Not in my ready. Uh, there you go, right at the bottom there. 30 days free. Uh, enter all of your grades and then reach out through the Mapped Advising chat there uh, and say, okay, look at my grades. Um, we'll be better able to help you. Ritu, would pre-med prereq classes taken at extension school, for example, UCLA or UCB extension, be considered at par with other regionally accredited universities? P.S. UCLA offered transferable UC credits. Yeah, so UCLA extension is a huge kind of post-bac route that a lot of students take. I know Cal, um, which I think I'm, I'm assuming UCB, Cal Berkeley, uh, they also have a big extension program. Yeah, they're good. Nope. Just uh, don't pay for letters of recommendation from any specific UCLA professors uh, or pay for going to office hours or emailing Um yeah, that's a little sketchy. Don't do that. <laughs> Jasmine asks, thank you, Map Team, for all that you do. You're welcome. I'm a non-trad student thinking about driving up to attend the UC Davis conference. Mm-hmm. Rex on how to make the most of the experience and other pre-med fairs. Courtney, uh, yep. you love the pre-med circuit. Um, what are things that students do well when interacting with you and, and other schools? 
I think just utilizing the time to actually get to know the school that you're talking to. So the reps there that you're interfacing with actually work at that school. They can give you pretty direct information and get to know you a little bit better. They can talk about their mission. You can ask them about curriculum and how that's presented if you need, um, you know, what kind of learning resources there are and and things like that to, to talk about fit and make sure that It's mutually beneficial for both parties. But with so few touch points for med schools with pre-meds before we are having to make these big decisions on both ends, it's always good to kind of capitalize on these opportunities to get more face time um, and, and build a relationship if you can. So I met some people at UC Davis that ultimately two years later, they matriculated and I remember talking to them there. And so it's, it's a great fair. And so walk around, do the circuit, talk to people, go prepared. If you want to go and see who's going to be there, you can always, you know, write down questions that you want to ask ahead of time. But I would say keep an open mind because some schools may surprise you. You may not know that some exist or mm-hmm. uh, some may not just be on your radar yet. So go with an open mind, attend the sessions, talk. Don't just grab stuff and trick or treat, you know? Yeah. It's like trick or treating for pre-meds, right? But, yeah. um, but make the most of it. Andy, Actually talk Andy. to people. Yeah. <laughs> All your hand sanitizers for the year. <laughs> so much. Oh, yeah. It's it's one of those, like, uh, especially having done a lot of tabling now, um, like, it's like you have to do it, but you know that yeah. most of the stuff's going to end up in the trash. And it's just like, this is not good for our planet, but I have to do it. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, good question. Good question. And definitely recommend checking out the UC Davis conference. Unfortunately, the map team will not be there this year. Um, we're going to be working hard on MappedCon, So make sure you start saving some money to go to Baltimore next year, October 6th through 8th. We're going to have our first in-person conference. So we'll, we'll uh, bring the hand sanitizers. We'll, we'll bring lots of hand sanitizer and lots of fun. So yes. go, go join the wait list, mappedcon.com. It's going to be so fun. It's going to be awesome. David asks, with the hurricane bearing down on us Floridians, what medical schools can you recommend to apply to in the land of Oz? Uh, Unfortunately, Oz has tornadoes. Apparently you forgot to that part of the movie <laughs> where there, there's a tornado that starts all of this. Um, so I don't know if there's any, uh, unfortunately with, with uh, climate change, I don't know if anywhere is safe these days from some sort of natural disaster. But is he referring to Australia as, cause I've heard Australia referred to as Oz. So I'm not sure Maybe. what he means by that. Yeah. But... There's one school that I know of Queensland and uh, yeah. Australia. Okay. Yeah, I, I think he was being more silly than anything Funny. else. Gotcha. Uh, yes, back. if you are in Florida, uh, yeah. fingers crossed you're doing well. I saw some clips before we jumped on here. Uh, Fort Myers getting pounded right now. Yeah. Duat asks, I'm currently a patient sitter. I was a scribe but could not pass the training. Should I stick with this job? Also, is it possible to go from a 3-3 to a 3-5 in five semesters? 
so three, three to three, five and five semesters. That's basic math. You just got to figure out uh, number of credits, GPA that you're hoping to get in those five semesters and just plug it into a calculator, a GPA calculator like mapped offers and see where it can take you. Um, patient sitter. What are your thoughts, Courtney? It's clinical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see why not. Um, yeah. You know, I, there may be some difference in compensation. Um, and so if that works for you versus being a scribe, I would say it still qualifies and it gives you a lot of face time with patients. So hopefully you're able to do some good and, and brighten their days. Yep. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't make too much meaning out of the not being able to pass the scribe training. I've, I've heard from lots of students who can't pass the scribe training. A lot of it comes down to uh, speed um, and accuracy sometimes. And that's just stuff you'll learn over time. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't take too much uh, away from that. Is it Scribe America that does, <laughs> do they try to do a training? Uh, I don't know. Or is it if, just per, yeah. per institution? I, I, I know Scribe America does have a training program and you have to pass it before they'll do anything. I'm, I'm hoping they're paying their students during the training period because that is work that you're doing. Um, but we we'll did, do. but yeah. 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 I think they Maybe. do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jawad says, yes, it is Scribe America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stephanie, Ari Courtney's comment on creating the rubric and research not being high yield. What on that rubric was I? We knew we were, this question yep. was coming. As soon as you open the door, they're like, <laughs> tell us all the secrets. <laughs> I, I can't um, just because I, yep. I'm not Trade sure people. if it is still in active use since I just transitioned out. So I would say... The school that I came from, we are extremely transparent. Our leadership allowed uh, me and my team and and my assistant director is actually the one that took over after I left. Um, They allowed us to be very transparent with what we were looking for and what we wanted to see. So I would encourage you to reach out to the admissions office there. They are wonderful, wonderful people. And... I miss working with them every day, but, um, but they are in good hands and, um, and they will give you that information. They may not give you the numeric values, but they can tell you things that they want to see in an application. Yeah. And it's, I I think it's weird for students to think about uh, because we say, right, you're not just your stats. You're not just your GPA and your MCAT, but rubrics basically turn all of that information into a number. Uh, and that's just that's just how it works. Um, and there's probably not anything super crazy about a rubric that's like, oh, my gosh, I never thought about X, Y or Z being the, the most important thing you're looking at. Right. Obviously, stats are going to play an important part on a rubric. Clinical hours are going to play an important part and not just total hours, but looking at the activity description, I'm assuming. And what what were the takeaways and was this impactful for the student uh, research? But depending on the school, um, volunteer experiences. Some schools want to see non-clinical volunteering. Uh, there, there are going to be those types of things on a rubric, and and that's why you can't. The Stephanie, I, I applaud the question, uh, but it it's a useless question because Courtney's former school did it their way. Another school down the road does it another way. The other school up the road does it a different way, and so you can't really play to let me let me force my application to fit this one school 
because every school is looking at things from different angles, giving higher priority to different aspects of an application. And so the only thing that you can do is do the best that you can do and be the student who you want to be, put that out there. And the schools that are attracted to that will invite you for interviews and hopefully offer you the acceptance. Yeah, I've seen quite a few different iterations of rubrics and they come in at different times of the evaluation process, depending on the school. So mine was prior to us considering somebody for an interview. So we were super thorough on the front end once the secondary was returned. However, I know um, there are some that will use a rubric later on. The reason that the rubric is kind of brought in is because some parts are are a bit subjective. And if you have multiple screeners or you're having faculty help you review and evaluate, we want to make sure that everybody is getting a, a fair and equitable glance. And so and that and that we're all kind of around the same um, benchmark, I guess, or or way of evaluating something. So while there's subjectivity, um, and this also helps for accreditation purposes. So it's not just, you know what, I just didn't like this person. Well, why? Um, there are certain things that we need to check and make sure that, that we're giving everybody a fair and equitable glance and, and looking at the things that we need. So it's, it's for the benefit of the student in getting a fair and equitable look. Yeah. Carmen asks, I can call myself a disadvantaged student if I have to deal with different situations such as domestic abuse in my childhood, immigrants, uh, living with 11 people in a small space, and work and study. Uh, oh, okay. So they're asking, can I call myself? Yes. Mm. <laughs> yes, you can. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> SR, hello. I'm a nurse with a bachelor's in nursing and biotechnology. I took most of the pre-med classes 15 years ago. Since I took most courses then, do you recommend a post-bac to repeat the courses? So very similar question that we had earlier about prereqs expiring. Um, yeah, Courtney, what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I would suggest doing so. Sometimes some of the nursing courses, while they're taught um, kind of in a with some overlapping material, they're not taught the same as the core pre-med courses a lot of the time. So I would suggest taking, you know, if you're going to take bio or chemistry, take them from those departments and get that core foundational knowledge, um, not only for the refresher, but also for the content and the material that you need to learn, um, which is different than than the ones that they present in health professions um, kind of courses, I would say. Yeah, I think that's the big yeah. asterisk on this is the nursing angle. Um, mm-hmm. And as we mentioned earlier, it's going to depend on the school whether or not they want updated courses um, The if the prereqs expire, assuming those prereqs do count. Um, I, I did know anecdotally a, a physical therapist who was working for 20 years uh, took the MCAT and applied and got in without repeating any classes. Just, just like, ah, uh, but obviously a little bit different going more to that professional degree versus nursing that, that is usually an undergrad degree. Yeah, and I would say more times than not, what I would see is um, pharmacists, PT, PA, nursing, 
Um, some of these professions, while they're so advanced with their clinical skills and they're going to be leagues ahead of, of some of the people in their cohort, mm-hmm. um, the MCAT was still a hang up. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So not necessarily content, um, but sitting for a standardized test and going from a work environment back into a kind of a standardized, rigorous testing mm-hmm. um, really disciplines study schedule was, was difficult. So be careful with that. I would say. Yes. Proceed with caution. Edmonds. I'm a permanent resident with an international transcript. How do I get into medical school? This one is tricky because we are elitists in this country and we think our education system is the best. And, uh, (laughs) um, it's it's hard. Most medical schools want uh, the the number that uh, is typically thrown around is ninety credit hours of U.S. courses. Um, Courtney, do you know some schools that will accept an international transcript? I do. Yeah. So you one that I can think of off the top of my head is uh, West Evaluations. Mm-hmm. They will evaluate and translate your international transcript to the U.S. equivalency, and you submit that. Most of the time, as Dr. Gray was saying, they're going to want to see at least the prereqs taken within the U.S. Um, that's not 100% across the board, but it's, I would say it's a far majority uh, will want to see at least the prereqs taken here. Mm-hmm. Um, so some osteopathic mm-hmm. schools I do know will take that. I think what will be a bit more difficult is your permanent residency status and finding a school where it not only accepts the West evaluation um, for your transcript, but also your permanent resident status and oh, not having dual citizenship. I, I've always thought that once someone gets a green card, they're good to go. They're just considered out of state depending on their citizenship matters much less as long as they have their green card. It depends. At private institutions, some of the tax if you go through it's, it's called Cevis. Uh, but if you're at a private institution sometimes you are unable to take permanent residence hmm. I would love to f- find out more about that it's interesting all right. Well, as we wrap up here, just a reminder, um, through Mapped App, you can go sign up for a free Mapped App Pro account or free trial for 30 days using the promo code Mapped App Pro. Enter all of your courses. Uh, you can see this fun little GPA trends popping up here. Um, and once you get all of your courses in, your activities, you can then, during the free trial, or if you want to upgrade and keep it, uh, it's only seven fifty a month if you pay for the year. Uh, you can then chat with the mapped advisors. You can see here, this is the, the mapped advisors. This is us uh, in the chat answering your questions, uh, not on YouTube or Instagram or anywhere else, but just private uh, between us and you. So a great place to go get some uh, very cost-effective advising uh, through MapTap. So. Yeah. And with that, uh, Courtney Lewis, Vernia Granham, thank you so much for hanging out for 
Ask Matt. We're here every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we'll have a rotating team of advisors coming now that our team is growing and we can rotate around. Uh, we'll, we'll be here answering your questions every week. Have a great week. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.